Awesome. And um, we're continuing our series on adventures in faith and talking about uh, adventures of following Jesus and what it means to follow Jesus uh, in a world that, that, that doesn't and how it means to follow Jesus means to do things differently, which is sometimes weird and makes you weird, and that's okay. And our guide for this series is the book of Ephesians, written by a guy named Paul around uh, 58 AD, as he writes to a church that he helped start in a city called Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey. It's a church that experienced a lot of challenges. They had a lot of persecution back in those days. Um, in fact, in the book of Acts, you'll read about the persecution that happened to Paul when he was in the city of Ephesus. It's actually one of the funnier portions of the Bible. And so, in an odd way, so if you want to check that out, it's in the book of Acts, and just Google Acts, Ephesians, right, Ephesus, you'll find it. But we are talking about conflict, and what it means to do conflict as a follower of Jesus, which seems like an odd topic for Mother's Day, but if you're a mom, you deal with conflict because you have kids. And um, my mom, dealt with a lot of conflict. When I was growing up, and I don't know why, I, I can't tell you, maybe some psychologists could psychoanalyze analyze me and tell you why, but when I was in high school, I was actually a pretty good kid. When I was in elementary school, I was a horrible kid, and I don't know why. But I remember multiple times saying to my mom, I hate you. I'm going to run away. And my mom would say to me, I will pack you a lunch. Let me know when you want to go. And I remember going, no, you're supposed to not say that. That's not what you're supposed to say. And she'd say it every time. I'll send you off. It's okay. And uh, I never, never. I think I went like down the block and like across the street I wasn't supposed to go on. I made it that far one time. And then I went, ah, I'm hungry. Come back. So we talk about moms and conflict. So if you're a mom out there, this message is for you. And if you just happen to deal with conflict, then this message is for you too. And I'll be honest, it's, it's an area I struggle with personally. I, I don't do well in conflict. And so I'm preaching this for myself. It's really for me today. If you happen to listen along and it works for you, fantastic. But this is an area where I personally struggle. Because conflict, it's inevitable. And I grew up thinking that conflict was wrong. That when you had an argument with someone, it was wrong. And I think because I, when I was a little kid, I was just mad at the world and mad at everyone, so I was constantly in conflict. And then when I got older, I just went the complete opposite way. I just didn't have a fight with anybody at all. So I believed that conflict was wrong. It's not true. Conflict's not wrong. Conflict is inevitable. Uh, Gottman Institute, they grew up in the University of Washington, I believe. And they did a study of uh, couples who rated their marriages as poor and compared them with couples who rated their marriages as good. And what they found is that couples who rate their marriages as poor argue slightly more often than couples who rate their marriages as good. Is that surprising? A little bit, huh? You'd think there'd be a big difference in the frequency of arguments, but there isn't. 
What they found is couples who rate their marriages as good argue differently than couples who rate their marriages as poor. The issue isn't the frequency of arguments. The issue is how you handle it. That's the Gottman Institute. Conflict's challenging. It's challenging because when you're in an argument, it stimulates parts of your brain that they like to call fight or flight, right? It's fight or flight. So how many of you, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Raise your hand if you like a good argument. If you're like, yeah, I kind of like it. I like it. Raise your hand if you like to win a good argument. You're like, yeah, the winning part I really enjoy, right? Raise your hand if you are an expert at the silent treatment, right? Yeah. Raise your hand if you can go for days without talking with someone and you live with that person, right? It's fight or flight, and we will fall typically one way or the other. And I do both, depending on the circumstance. Sometimes I'm just, just in it, and other times I'm like, I, I, no, it's fine. It's, it's, it's all good. It's all, no, it's not a problem. It's not a problem, right? Jesus offers a third way. Because when you read the Gospels, especially the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is in conflict almost all of the time. Usually it's by people who are in conflict with him. Sometimes he initiates it. And with Jesus, it's neither fight nor flight. It's always growth. It's always growth. Because he's got a different agenda. And Jesus just does things differently. And so we're going to talk about conflict management this morning. We used to talk about conflict resolution. But sometimes it's set up unreasonable expectations. Because sometimes there isn't a resolution. Sometimes conflict does not get resolved. You can't resolve every conflict. This can't. But you can't provide people an opportunity to grow every single time. And so we don't have it on the board here. I'm going to invite you to get out your bulletin or get out your phone if you want to and just write down the, the steps if you'd like. So you can write it on your phone. There's a nice big blank side of paper right here. If you want to grab a pencil from the front, you can do it there. Type it in your phone, whatever you'd like to do. Conflict management. So here we go. Step one. Pray. Pray. It's a critical step. Because when you pray, you start to ask questions that you don't ask when you're in fight or flight mode. When you pray, you start asking questions like this. Do I want what's best for this person? Or do I want what's best for me? Is my goal growth or is my goal victory? A great question you ask in prayer is, is this really an issue or is it just my opinion? So here's an example. And just so you know, I asked my wife for permission before using this example. Okay? So when Heather and I first got married, I noticed something about her. And that she's kind of messy. 
notice by your office or desk space. You walk into her home, you wouldn't notice this. You open certain cabinets and certain drawers, and it's just like it's like a it, you just it's a mess. It's a mess. Now it's an issue because if I walk into your home, I will start organizing your dishwasher for you because I'm that guy. Opposites attract sometimes. And so early on in our marriage, I'm like, man, it's so messy. And I had to stop and pray and go, wait, is this an issue or is it me? Guess what? It's me. It's really me. And early on, I'm like, you know what? There's so many other things that are awesome about Heather. This, this is not an issue. It's just me. I got to deal with it. It's not worth it. It's not a conflict. It's just one of those things. Because I have an opinion about something. It doesn't mean I'm right. It just means I have an opinion. It's not an issue. And praying helps you stop and go, okay, is it me? Or is this really a growth area? Do I want what's best for the other person? Or do I want what's best for me? Alright. So pray. Step two. Prepare. Prepare. If you love a good fight, ask yourself this. How can you say what needs to be said as lovingly as possible? If you avoid conflict like the plague, ask yourself this. How can you say what needs to be said as clearly as possible? So you prepare. If you love a good fight, how can you say it lovingly? If you hate fighting, how can you say it clearly? And then define that issue as best you can. Define it. When I was in California, I did uh, premarital counseling with this couple. They were awesome. I love them. And um, we're doing, uh, we're actually practicing conflict management. We kind of give them some tools to do it. And I said, okay, uh, give me an issue, just a small thing, something minor that you can practice conflict management with. And she says to the groom, you don't love me enough. Oh, gosh, we're going to be here for a while. <laughs> and, and the groom says, what are you talking about? And she says, you don't, you don't love me enough. Groom loses it. Loses it. What are you talking about? I go to your apartment. I make you dinner. I clean your bathroom and it's a pigsty. I take care of your car. I change your oil for you. And she's like, I know, I know, I know, I know. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But you don't love me enough. And he looks at me and I'm like, dude, I have no idea what's going on here. <laughs> I'm like, what so finally. I said, so, what, what do you mean? And she's like, and she starts this long story. And it took, it took a while. But eventually she starts talking about her family. It's a family of origin issue, right? And she talks about her dad. Her dad hugs her all the time. Her dad tells her that he loves her all the time. They're a very touchy-feely, kissy family, right? And the groom says this. My dad has not told me that he's loved that he loves me since I was seven years old. But I know he loves me because he'll do anything for me. 
family of origin, different love languages, they weren't communicating. So after a long period of time, we were like, okay, bride, what do you need? And she was able to say, you know what I need? I need you, when you greet me, I want a hug and a kiss. And when we're sitting watching TV, I want you to hold my hand or put your arm around me. And when we're out walking around, I want you to hold my hand. And when you leave or I leave, I want a hug and a kiss when you tell me that you love me. And the group's like, oh, well, I can do that. <laughs> so we went from, you don't love me, <laughs> to I need a hug and a kiss and tell me you love me, right? Define the issue. As soon as it was defined, it was solved. But it took a lot of time to get there. But if you can get there first, if you can say, define the behavior and say, what I need is this, it goes a huge, huge ways to solving the issue and resolving the conflict. So define. So step one is pray. Step two, prepare. Step three is present. Present it. And it's great to say things like, I'm wondering why you did this. Not you moron, you should have, right? That never works out very well, right? Just present, I'm wondering why. I'm concerned because you said this. Tell me more about when this happened last week. Tell me more about that. You present, you get the person saying, this is what I'm concerned about. And I'd like to hear more from you. I mean, you're, tell me more. And then you pause. Step four, pause. And just listen. Might be a genuine reason. Might be a great time for repentance and offering forgiveness. Might be fantastic for that. Might be an opportunity to serve this person. You never know. But just pause and say, I want to hear from you. Tell, tell me your side of the story. Tell me what's happening. And I'm going to pause. Step five is this. Preferred outcome. See the, all the letter P's? Is that kind of cool? Yeah, I made that up. <laughs> Preferred outcome. Clearly state what you'd like to see happening. I would like it if you did this. That's what I'd like. Sometimes we think we're clear and we're not. I had a friend of mine who's a youth leader at a church uh, in Denver, and he had his job performance review, and they told him that he was dressing poorly, that he needed to up his, his, dress, his dress code. And he was really confused, because later on he went, what, that dressing at church? Is that during the work week? Is that when I'm with kids and playing games with kids? What, what does that mean exactly? So sometimes we think we're clear, and we're really not. I remember one time, I was in California, preached this incredible sermon. It was so good. People were laughing. People were walking out going, man, that was fantastic. And this uh, elder at our church, his name was Ernie Bothman. And Ernie walks up to me, he shakes my hand, he leans over and he whispers in my ear, less Jason, more Jesus. He gave me a hug and walked away. Four words, and he was spot on, and it was super clear. He didn't say no, Jason, all Jesus. He just said, you know what? Less Jason, more Jesus. Did the job. 
Next week I did a better job. Next week after church, he shakes my hand, he leans forward, he says, now you got it. Gives me a hug and walked away. Refer to And step six is pray. Pray again. If possible, pray with that person. Even if the conflict isn't resolved, you can pray with that person. Because here's, here's the thing. The first conversation just might lead to a second conversation. And that second conversation, it, it might just lead to a third conversation. See where we're going? Okay. And that third conversation, you'll never believe this, it might just lead to a fourth conversation. There we go. And that fourth conversation just might lead to a fifth conversation where things get resolved. And so often, we want this, right? We want the first one to be the last one and be done. And it usually doesn't work like that. And so step six really is pray. And ideally praying with that person, saying, we know we're not on the same page here yet, but by God's grace, we will be. And if we're not, we're still going to love you. We're still going to pray for you. We don't agree on everything. But just maybe, we take the time. We're going to get there. And it's important to the heart of God. Because we have this text in Ephesians chapter 4. It says this. It says uh, in verse 1 here, Paul writes, as a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit to the bond of peace. Because there is one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. When was the last time you walked into an argument and said, you know what, I'm going to be completely humble and patient and gentle and loving? That's what I'm going to do. Go ahead, raise your hand. When was the last time you did? Me either. I, me either. It's either fight or flight. And here's the cool thing about Paul is he can walk into an argument be completely humble and patient and gentle and loving and firm. He doesn't compromise. The reason we know that is because Paul is writing this letter in prison. And he's in prison because he didn't compromise his convictions. He's in prison because the authorities said, you have to stop talking about Jesus. And Paul said, I can't stop talking about Jesus. I've been put on this earth to talk about Jesus. You're going to have to throw me in prison. And so they do. And even with Paul, he says, you know what? With every conflict, be humble and gentle and patient and loving. And the reason that conflict management is important for followers of Jesus is because important for Jesus. I love these words from my favorite chapters in the Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says this. 
All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are, therefore, God's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. So we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I talk about having a win-win situation, right? And for Jesus, it was a win-lose situation. Jesus loses his life on a cross, on a device designed for torture, so that you might win forgiveness in life. That's how Jesus does reconciliation. And yet for Jesus, it was so much bigger. Because for him, it's a win for him. Because he gets you. That's what God's love looks like. That's what grace looks like for you. That's what his, his truth and his convictions look like for you. And that's what forgiveness looks like for you and for me. Jesus Christ reconciles us to himself because of his incredible love for So it's given you the ministry of reconciliation. And so you walk through this life. It's easy to fight. It's easy to run. The hard thing is growth. The hard thing is entering into it and saying, I want what's best for you because I love you. And we're to walk through this process together, even if it's uncomfortable for both of us. But I love you, so we're going to do it. I'm going to pray for you in the process. And do it all because Jesus gave everything for me. He gave his life for me so I might know him and know life and know hope beyond this life and know joy every day. This creator of the universe died for us for me. And so, if you're bold enough here, I'd like to invite you to pray. And if you're a fighter, I'd like you to pray to lose. And if you're a avoider, I'd like you to pray to engage. So if you'd like to, let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, thank you, Lord, that you love us and have reconciled uh, yourself to us by your very own death. It cost you everything, Lord. It cost us nothing. Thank you for grace. Lord Jesus, um, so many times when we're in situations, Lord, we, we just want to win. Or we just want it to go away. And Lord, you, you loved us enough. You 
loved us so much, Lord God, that you didn't write us off and you didn't ignore us and just say, well, that's fine, don't worry about it. But Lord, you, you entered into your world, you engaged, Lord, so that we might be yours. Help us to love others enough to engage, to walk with, by your grace to grow together to be reconciled with one another. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Stand and praise your God. A parent's love for a child is sometimes reckless. Um, 